1: You're looking at Charlotte Motor Speedway in the heart of NASCAR Nation. This mile-and-a-half oval is home to one of the crown jewel events in all of stock car racing, the Coca-Cola 600. Hello and welcome to this special edition of NASCAR America. It's our motorsports special honoring our nation's military and celebrating racing's biggest weekend. Chris Davota with Kyle Petty here in our NBC Sports studio. You ready, Kyle? I'm ready. It's going to be big. And we'll be heading to both Charlotte Motor Speedway and Speedway, Indiana, where Carb Day activity just wrapped up. But the field for NASCAR's longest race has already been set. On Thursday at Charlotte, Kyle Busch won the poll for Sunday's Coca-Cola 600. Busch ran his fastest lap of the night in the last round of qualifying. Afterwards, he talked about trying to finally end his winless streak at NASCAR's home track.
2: The M&M's Camry was fast. It was, um, you know, felt pretty good. The guys did an amazing job from practice. We weren't very good in practice. and. Uh, Adam and the boys, they kind of went to work. Um, Fortunately, today I had extra track time, so I got my Xfinity ride to thank probably for a little bit of that today. But um, it's all good because um, it was pure talent all the way around, all these guys, (laughs) this whole team. feels good, this is a race that, um, you know, you always enjoy coming to at Charlotte. I haven't won here um, in a points-paying event, I guess, so, um, you know, it would certainly be nice to kind of get that done here this weekend with the, uh, the 600.
1: Ah, we love air quotes. Time to head to the racetrack. Dave Burns has been a busy guy this week. And even on a slow day at Charlotte Motor Speedway, Dave is there. Hey, Dave.
3: And, Krista, thank you. Uh, thankfully, it is a dry day here, but that's crazy because it's like 172% humidity. They call this a dark day at the track, but that's unusual because the sun is out. Nevertheless, no track activity today for the racers. Uh, there are a couple of things going on that you should know about, however. They're repainting the logo, so it will look great on Sunday afternoon. And there is a charity track walk happening here. As well, there is some activity actually on the track from a tire scrubbing machine. Now, on Wednesday night, they added some liquid traction compound to the racing surface's upper groove to hopefully enhance passing here at Charlotte Motor Speedway. Then today, they've been running the tire scrubber to try to further work in that groove. That's something they've done before. That's something they hope will work again here at Charlotte. Back to qualifying for second, of course, Kyle, his third pole for the 2018 season. That's a familiar story for race fans. That win, of course, is what he's really looking for. Second, Joey Logano. That's his, that ties his best starting spot here at Charlotte. Second, again, no pole yet for Logano at charlotte and then third denny hamlin he uh, again scored very high rankings in qualifying but has not yet won at charlotte motor speedway in the 600 so that's kind of a familiar refrain in fact krista the top 11 qualifiers for sunday afternoon evening and into the night's race have never won a 600 that should make it more exciting for the fans
1: Yes, it should. Great headline heading into that race. We're going to hear more from Dave throughout the show. And just a bit south of the track, our crew chief, Steve Letard, and driver Landon Castle are at our NBC Charlotte studio. We have a lot to talk about today, Steve Landon. So where do you guys want to start?
4: Well, I think Kyle Busch. He's the guy that is the top of my mind. He's had such a good year already, Landon. And when you look at someone who has won so many races, who has won a championship, and his suit so competitive as Kyle Busch, while it Wouldn't matter to me, I guess, that I would have only one active track left on the list to win at. I think it bothers Kyle Busch. You can see right there, even in his interview, brought up with the air quotes, you know, the non-points-paying races, he has won, but he hasn't won the 600. So the question is, can his love-hate relationship with 600-mile race finally end and get him back to victory lane?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you don't know with him if it's mental or physical or where that barrier kind of comes from uh, to get through that entire thing. So I've got my eye on Kevin Harvick. I think his... Um, starting position is dead last, didn't get through inspection, didn't get to qualify, um, and he's also losing 30 minutes of practice. They did a lot a lot of body work on that car to get it through inspection to make NASCAR happy, to not even make a lap, and they're getting opportunities taken away from them to work on their car and, and improve on it, but he's had the best speed over the last month, so um, he's he's definitely on my radar right
4: now. Well, so you talk about you know, what the holdup is for Kyle Busch. And Chris, as I was doing my homework to try to figure out all the different ways that Kyle Busch has lost the Coca-Cola 600, it's really quite amazing. You go all the way back to 2009, dominating the race, almost 200 laps, just over 170 laps led. I feel a little silly because I was in this race. We all pit, the rain comes, David Rudiman wins. You come back the next year, Kyle Busch once again leads the most laps in the race, over 200 this time, But with just about 20 laps to go, gets passed for the lead, 2011 ended up being a funny fuel mileage race. He still is continuing to lead laps. And that's what makes it so surprising that he hasn't won there, that he wins so many stages, runs up front. But last year had to be the most painful for Kyle Busch because when I look at it, Kyle, he only led 70 or 63 laps. But look, he was the winner if that fuel race doesn't go. He finished second to Austin Dillon. Now, Austin Dillon won the race. Make no mistake about it. Strategy matters, and he had the best strategy. But as a driver behind the wheel, Kyle Busch put the winning performance in and still hasn't got the, the check yet. So it's kind of, and I think at some point it's kind of like Chase Elliott. When's he going to win? When's he going to win? Well, now I think Kyle Busch feels like, when is he going to win? When is he going to win Charlotte? Starting on the front row matters, but we all know 600 miles. We'll talk about it all show, all show long. The longest race in NASCAR is that way for a reason 600 miles was very very difficult
5: yeah and, and listen it, there's nothing worse and, and and you know this, Steve LaTarte. you've made calls on the pit box and won races for pit calls, fuel mileage whatever from a driver's perspective when you're up there out there giving a hundred percent doing everything you can running every lap as hard as you can, and some guy on Pit Road beats you because he made a better call or he made a different call than what your guy did. There's nothing worse, nothing worse. Uh, so I, I think last year was painful for him. And, and Kyle can use air quotes all he wants to. Every time I say Kyle Bush, I'm going to use air quotes okay, through the, the whole, show. Show? Okay. whole show. This is our show today. Um, it, but he's not won a points-paying race there. Yes, we can take all the Xfinity races and all the, the all-star races or, or truck races like or 15 whatever. 15 or 16. Yeah. And, and he's won on every track. I give him that. I give him that because he is a phenomenal... Kyle Busch is a phenomenal <laughs> talent. I just wanted to do that one more time. But <laughs> I feel, like he, I feel like we have to keep a tally. You've got you to, to win. You've got to, he's got to win in, in that points-paying race. And we've we've seen other drivers go through this, want to complete that, that loop and say, I've won on every active track. Kyle Busch is going to win on every active track. There's no doubt about it. He just wants it to happen now. So this is a personal quest for him.
1: That's what it is. It's that goal right there, like, hey, let's just see. You guys think I can't do it, or it's one more thing you're talking about. We're going to check that box. Uh, NASCAR's longest race, of course, caps off a full day of motorsports action from Monaco to Indianapolis. It's racing's greatest day. And our travels continue. Let's go to Monaco. No, I'm just kidding. But we are going (laughs) to Speedway, Indiana. That's where we find Marty Snyder. You see the 433 miles. The Carb Day action is complete.
6: Yes, it is complete, Kristen. Welcome to Indianapolis. As you said, Carb Day complete before the running of the 102nd Indianapolis 500 final practice in the books. Fans had a great time, a warm day here in Indianapolis. We expect it to be even warmer on Sunday. Carb Day, very busy on the track. Townsend Bell with me. I can't believe you made me wear that suit, Townsend
7: a good look. For
6: you, Marty. <laughs> we had a lot of fun. It's the Indiana State unofficial holiday here with Carb Day. Marty Snyder along with Townsend Bell as we mentioned and we are from Victory Lane here at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway where someone will drink the milk right below us after winning the greatest spectacle in racing the Indianapolis 500 on Sunday. Townsend you wanted some of the most famous venues in the world. Daytona, Le Mans, Long Beach, but how does the Indianapolis 500 stack up as one that you always wanted to win?
7: Oh man, it's a big empty box that wasn't <laughs> ticked. They were talking about winning earlier, but the exhilaration that I still feel, even though I'm not racing, when you come through these gates, this has a play. This has a way of making you feel special, whether you're watching, whether you're racing. It's exhilarating. This will push you farther and faster than you might want to go. The consequences can be very serious if it goes wrong, but if you win, there's close to 3 million dollars on the line for the winning driver and your face, of course, etched forever
6: in that beautiful Borg-Warner trophy. And just a little teaser Cars and traffic on edge more than ever, so that could be an interesting thing for Sunday. It's been a busy month of May here, including the Hoosier hero, Ed Carpenter, with his third Indy 500 pole, Townsend. Ed Carpenter brought this pole
7: position in such dominant fashion, a mile an hour faster than anybody in the field, including the very dominant Penske team that also includes Elio Castroneves as a fourth one-off entry. And this guy, Joseph Newgarden, has looked strong. And then, of course, Will Power, you can't rule him out, along with Simon Pagano That Penske team, they're they're a force to be reckoned with always. And then how impressive has Danica Patrick been? She will start seventh in her final race. I think Danica's really pinching herself at how lucky that GoDaddy green car is in terms of the speed. I don't know if she expected to be as fast after the break that she's had off. Seven years since she was last year. This guy, Alexander Rossi, starting from the very last row, He's going to be very
6: strong, I think, on race day. But he's going to have to be methodical. And that was just a small piece of the drama on race day. The biggest story of the month of May, James Hinchcliffe not making the field. Absolutely
7: shocking for that Schmidt-Peterson motorsports team. Top five in the points coming in. But they'll miss this race,
6: not qualifying, and they'll lose double points as a penalty. More to come on James Hinchcliffe in the show. Train and blues traveler playing right now as we take a look at the starting grid for the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500. Townsend, so many arguments you can make for
7: any of these in the top three rows to win this race. I think one of the challenges for Danica Patrick's going to be traffic. She'll be in it most of the day. Hot temperatures, record temperatures expected for race day on Sunday. But look back at row four, Tony Kanaan. I'll circle him driving for AJ Foyt Racing. It's been about a decade since AJ Foyt has been as
6: strong as what they've shown so far this month. Canon fastest in the final practice today and then there's some speed here in the back of the field as well Townsend you've got guys like you know J.R. Hildebrand almost won this race
7: a few years ago. No doubt how about Carlos Munoz multi-time second place finisher he's been knocking on the door and then some of these young guns like Sage Karam that are brave and bold they'll be taking big risks
6: and guys like Graham Rahal that are always strong coming from the back as well. You're able to see final practice, so real quick, what do you expect on Sunday in terms of a race? Because there were a lot of pack rat, pack racing out there in practice. I expect it to be very tough. The drivers have talked already
7: today about how they're already maxed out on downforce. There's nothing left to throw with these cars. That's a big departure from the last few years where you could always add more or take out some, and you were trying to debate. Here you want all the downforce you can get incredibly hot on Sunday. They haven't seen the temperatures. They'll see it here on race day. It's going to be a battle. Well,
6: plenty more to come on NASCAR America from Indianapolis, including this man, Elio Castroneves. Is he the best shot for Team Penske to get their 17th Indianapolis 500 win? Nate Ryan has an interesting take on Danica Patrick's final race and her troubles today, and a revealing look at Sebastian Bourdais' qualifying weekend one year after his vicious crash here at Indianapolis. Plus, our man Paul Tracy will join us and tell us who he thinks is the driver to beat for the Indianapolis 500. Plenty more to come from Indy, Krista.
1: Wow, a lot of reasons to watch. We thought Marty's suit was going to be one yes. of them. He, got, he took out rid of he the Check it off. I don't suit. know what happened to him. Uh, we're going to have much more from Carb Day throughout our motorsports special. But when we come back, Alex Bowman hits the water with the Coast Guard in the final part of our Mission 600 series.
8: The boats are super cool, all the technology on them. Much different driving with a joystick than with a steering wheel and pedals. <laughs> I'm terrified. It was really neat. It's really interesting to see everything that goes into it. Two
7: main reasons for Memorial Day weekend is it's the stage for motorsports to stand on.
5: And number two is the Memorial Day aspect of symbolizing what our military has gone through. A huge racing weekend, but that's not why it's special. It's special
2: because it's a chance for us to honor the men and women that served for our country. It gives us a chance to remember why we're actually here and, and it's all of our troops from the past but we have the present and all the troops we're going to have in the future for them fighting for our freedom for allowing us to go out and do what we love to do any race weekend where we can pay tribute to the,
7: the ones that made the you know made the ultimate sacrifice for defending our freedom is uh, is an incredible weekend so that's uh, those are the most special ones to us all the troops at the
9: racetrack just seeing them on the grid pre-race and, and the ceremonies and, and the giant flag rolled out in the infield, I mean, it gives you chills. It gives you that feeling, just an unbelievable night.
8: Taking a moment and recognizing everyone that that enables us to do what we do every weekend. that's what makes it such a big weekend. All the sacrifices that have been made
7: and all the men and women that we've lost at battle, it's a time to reflect and say thanks.
1: It also gives you chills just hearing them talk about it. All week long, we have been featuring drivers, including Kurt Busch, who have taken a part in Mission 600, an initiative which connects some of NASCAR's best to the men and women who serve our country, certainly our country's best. Our series concludes with Hendrick Motorsports driver Alex Bowman. Earlier this month, he, along with members of his pit crew, stopped by U.S. Coast Guard station Wrightsville Beach, North Carolina to experience some of what's referred to as the coasty life.
8: Everything we do uh, for, for veterans is, is really special around the 600. The paint seems really special. I think it looks great. Uh, I think it's going to look great under the lights. It's just uh, it's a really cool thing to be a part of. So this is past in a handshake. All right. So, awesome. Thank, thank you very much. I appreciate it. So okay, cool. Oh, right. <laughs> that was terrible. Yeah. yeah. That was pretty awful. It was really neat, had a lot of fun. It's really interesting to see everything that goes into it. All right, Adam.
10: Here,
8: we go. Oh, uh, Here we go. Oh, Lord, no, line in the water. I like mountains. Um, the boats are super cool, all the technology on them. You know, much different driving with a joystick than with a steering wheel and pedals. <laughs> I'm terrified. It was uh, it was a cool experience. It gives you a really big appreciation for uh, for what these guys do and everything they do to protect our country and to help people that need their help.
1: It has been a great week watching five drivers take part in this Mission 600 initiative put together by Charlotte Motor Speedway and the Department of Defense. Two of those drivers, Bowman and Brad Kozlowski, have raced for Junior Motorsports in their careers. Well, today, the team's annual fan fest continued in Mooresville, North Carolina. Fans received autographs from lots of drivers, including Dale Jr. and his Xfinity Series drivers. They also saw a taping of the Dale Jr. Download podcast. Junior Motorsports was also part of Danica Patrick's career, which comes to an end Sunday at the Indy 500. We will look at the undeniable impact she's made on racing when our motorsports special continues.
10: The 85th running of this great race. Team Penske
9: runs one-two across the yard of bricks. They are side by side with the 68 car of Castro Neves. Will hang on to the lead.
6: There have been other challengers today, but Castro Neves has been able to hold them off. Castro Neves has. chain link this kid. I love him. The old Penske crew's getting up on the fence. I don't think the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has ever seen anything like this. I've been dreaming
9: of it. Wilbur Shaw, Maury Rose, Bill Vukovic, Alenzer all have had back-to-back wins. Nevis may be about to add his name to that list. In the Penske pit, they are sweating bullets as Tracy stalks and closes. Tracy looks to the outside. Oh, and a guard trouble.
4: White flag, yellow flag are going to come out together. He's done it. Two in a row for Elio at the speedway. Castro
9: Castroneves goes for the fence again. We did it again. We did it again.
10: Another one. Two, baby, two. 17 laps remaining at the line. Elio Castroneves is your leader. Elio running away with it right now. Open the door to the three-time Winners Club. There's a brand-new member, and his name is Elio Castro Neves. He's pointing to the fence. It's like Babe Ruth calling
11: his shot. <laughs> Let's celebrate now. Yeah, baby!
6: some wonderful memories in Indianapolis for Elio Castroneves, but Townsend, he's trying to join that list. That's the Mount Rushmore list
7: of four-time Indy 500 winners, and he's got to deal with guys like Foyt Mears that are here this weekend, ribbing them all the time about what it's going to take to knock or or match their four-time wins.
6: And Rick Mears spotting for him this weekend, so that'll be very unique, but it's a little different for Elio this year, Townsend, because he's trying to do it as a one-off. He ran the Grand Prix a few weeks ago, but how difficult is it to do as a one-off? You tried it several times.
7: Yeah, I'm a ten-time one-offer, but Elio Castroneves Nevis has come so close in these last few years, but when you come as a one-off driver, there's a hundred little things that you have to kind of make up for not doing it full-time. It's not just what you do in the car, it's your crew, it's everything gelling together and he's come so close, almost there for Team Penske, but not quite far enough. And he
6: told me that car he had last year was maybe one of the best he had ever had. Well, from one veteran making a special appearance in the Indy 500 to another, Nate Ryan now joins us and Nate, there's no doubt who's capturing the most media attention here in Indy is there?
12: That's right, Marty. You know, regardless of what happens Sunday, this has already been a memorable May for Danica Patrick, and typically her fortunes have vacillated between good and bad. She qualified seven for the race. She's been quick all week, but there were some problems that kept her off the track during practice today. That up and down day has been typical of her history at this track, and I explored Danica's history at Indianapolis Motor Speedway and her legacy. As a chapter of her life draws to a close, Danica Patrick is back where her story essentially began. The 2005 Indianapolis 500 wasn't the first start of her noteworthy career, but a beguiling Indianapolis Motor Speedway debut is how the most accomplished female driver in oval track racing history announced her entrance as a transcendent athlete. The emphatic way in which she became the first woman to lead to the brickyard still stirs shivers 13 years later. She made history in 2008 in Japan, the first woman to win an IndyCar or any Major League Oval series.
11: Boys, move over. The lady is coming through.
12: Her move to NASCAR again made history as the series' first female pole winner in the 2013 Daytona 500. Yes, that's a great lamp. Manica Patrick has made NASCAR history. After six seasons away, she is back to wrap up her time behind the wheel at the track that's always been her best. But the Indy that made her a household name also has delivered the same share of heartache and frustration facing any driver who has tried to tame it over 500 miles. In 2005, she was instructed to yield the lead because of concerns about fuel mileage.
4: The leader now is Dan Weldon. He gets the pass. Can Danica conserve enough fuel to get another run on the bridge?
12: And the regret of easing off lingered years later. In 2008, a collision triggered her fiery side in a memorable stomp through the pit lane toward a rival's stall.
11: She is not happy, and uh, probably deservedly so.
12: In 2010, an unstable setup left her unnerved.
8: This is the worst car I've ever had.
12: (laughs) And in danger of failing to qualify while facing the wrath of fickle fans at the Speedway. As with any great Indianapolis 500 storyline, those hardships are as much a part of Patrick's saga as her successes. But it's Patrick's passion behind the wheel that has captivated us. And she's done it for more than a decade her fame and guts on the track transformed all motorsports into the modern world young girls have grown up watching idolizing dreaming bigger to not just run with the boys but beat them and to one day reach Indy on this yard of bricks racing's greatest stage patrick finds her way to the center of attention it's how she started here and sunday it's why she'll end it here as well and she spent much of practice in the garage with an electrical problem in her engine the team rolled danica back out with less than 10 minutes left in the session she made some laps she seemed fine she was eighth fastest in the practice she told katie hargett that hopefully she got her bad luck out of the way today and Marty will see Sunday if that's the case.
6: Well, Nate, they're certainly hoping the problems of today do not affect them on Sunday. Well, success at the Art of Bricks is no stranger to Ed Carpenter. The Butler grad is Indy through and through, from his Indy Lights win here to his three poles. I, Robin Middle, will introduce introduce us to one of Indy's favorite sons next. Krista?
1: Big names headlining the Indy 500. When we come back, we will tell you why It might be some underdogs who turn out to be the top story in the Coca-Cola 600. This weekend, the drama continues as the world's best riders head to San Bernardino to attack the steepest hills in Southern California. Lucas Oil Motocross Glen Helen National tomorrow at 6 p.m. Eastern on NBCSN.
11: What a race. What
9: a day for David Pearson.
11: Checkers are out. And it's Jeff Gordon victorious on this Memorial weekend at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. I'm speechless, man. I mean, this is the greatest day of my life. Checkered flag is down. And the winner of the 1995 Coca-Cola 600 is Bobby Labonte. Matt Kenseth has done it. A rookie has won.
9: Casey Mears is going to win his first Nextel Cup race, the Coke 600. David Rudiman has won the (laughs) Coca-Cola 600. How about that?
10: Austin Dillon
9: will gain his first career victory. He'll take the three car back to victory lane. Hell of a job, Austin. Love you,
8: buddy. Love you. I grew up racing in this fifth mile right here. To get my first win here, it's nothing better.
1: Seven drivers have earned their first Cup Series wins in the Coca-Cola 600. Will we see an eighth Sunday night? Eric Jones, rookie William Byron, Chase Elliott, and Daniel Suarez are all still searching for their first victories at NASCAR's top level. So, Kyle, it seems odd to say, because it's the longest (laughs) race, does this race favor a first-timer, or how can it?
5: I don't know, but obviously it does. When when you look at those, when you look at Pearson, when you look at uh, in recent years, and I mean the last 20 or 25 years, when we look at Jeff Gordon, when we look at Matt Kenseth, when we look at Bobby Labonte, uh, not only does it favor, it appears, first-time winners, guys that go on to have Hall of Fame careers because all these guys are going to end up in the Hall of Fame. Um, And as we look now, if we come off of last week, and again, different package, but if we come off of last week, Suarez... Uh, and, and Alex Bowman went a leg in the open. Uh, so that's good. That's got to give them some momentum. You've got Chase Elliott. Uh, we've got Eric Jones. You've got William Byron. You've got Jimmy Johnson. Wait a minute. Jimmy Johnson's won. He just hadn't won in a long time. But you've got all these guys that have won that are looking for that first win. Uh, and this is that place. This is that place, whether it be fuel mileage, whether it be a great call by, by crew chief, Um, whether it be your car just comes to you, you end up in the right place at the right time late in the race. We saw it with Austin Dillon last year with with fuel mileage. This is that type of place. And again, this is that type of place that will catapult you uh, to superstardom. It appears if we look at the first-time winners. So, yes, we could see, even though we're going to talk about Harvick and everybody else, This could be one where where somebody sneaks in.
1: Well, let's go back to Charlotte. I mean, Landon's in the race. Steve's a crew chief who's made some of those tough calls. So what do you guys think, Steve?
5: Yeah, I
4: I know about those tough calls. I need about, oh, I don't know, four or five ounces of fuel. And I would be fortunate enough to say that I've won the Coca-Cola 600, but we were a few ounces short. So the question is, why? Why in the toughest race, in the longest race, do these new drivers have a chance? And I think it's because of the length, Landon. Let's talk. Four-hour event. That adds two or three extra pit stops. What that does is we always say the fastest cars don't necessarily win the race because you have to execute. Well, execution becomes more difficult when it's expanded over two or three more pit stops, more chances of speed, more chances for accidents. So we saw the Hall of Fame drivers that have won the 600. But let's talk about the crew chiefs on top of the pit box. Ray Everham, Jimmy Makar, Robbie Reiser, Darian Grubb, Rodney Childers. Those are the biggest names in the sport as far as crew chiefs come, short of perhaps Chad Knauss. He's won it. He just didn't do it with a rookie. So then I look at the new drivers, and the one that jumps out to me, William Byron, the young man in the 24 car. He only has 12 career starts, but he has Darian Grubb on the pit box, who already has two wins in that 600. If he can just continue that magic he found with Casey Mears by coaching, by making the right adjustments, by putting him on the right strategy, William Byron, in my mind, given the right opportunity, can slay all the dragons. He can beat all the big names. He just has to have a little help. I think Darian Grubb can give him that help. He's a guy I'm going to watch for on Sunday night. I just think, why not? 13th race? Why not win the 600? It's
2: it's funny to me how Kyle mentioned that the uh, list of first-time drivers is like a who's who of future Hall of Famers, and then you go down the list of the crew chiefs that took them to victory lane, and those are Hall of Fame-level crew chiefs, right? It's like a totally perfect match. On your driver selection with William, I, I agree with you, and I think he definitely fits this sort of perfect storm of this could be our next first-time winner. But for me, I've got Daniel Suarez, and I've, I've got Daniel because I've got actual performance within the last week that right, Daniel has right. done. I talked to him yesterday at the racetrack, and I was like, man, well, you know, tell me about your all-star race. And, yeah, we talked a little bit about the package, but the thing that's got me a big fan on Daniel right now is he talked about the line that he ran and how he felt the the, the PJ1 on the racetrack and how he thinks that the high side's going to come in for the Coke 600. He won a stage in the, sh- in the Open, so he, he's tasted sort of victory lane. He knows how to make a restart there. Um, he had late-race restarts against Kevin Harvick, you know, the top of his game right now in the sport um, to win that All-Star race. So... He's got some recent top 10 finishes to back that up. I think he's on an actual upswing in performance. And he really teed himself up for it with his performance last week. So there's so much more to it than just what he did last week. and, and, And he's got... 10 pit stops ahead of him on Sunday that any one of them could go wrong. But I really like where Daniel's been. And I like what he did in that all-star race to to set himself up.
4: Well, a team when you talk about performance that perhaps is the biggest team that's the biggest name that's struggling is Hendrick Motorsports. I mentioned William Byron. Well, his teammate Chase Elliott, uh, it's been well-documented. So many second-place finishes. Well, he is the son of a Hall of Famer, right? Well, the son of the Hall of Famer, put kind of his first big cannonball, his first big mark on his, in my opinion, what will end up being a Hall of Fame career. I think when he finally wins, he's going to win a ton. He also has experience on top of the pit box. Alan Gustafson has had 26 races at Charlotte between the spring and the fall race. He's worked with some of the greatest drivers, worked with Jeff Gordon, understands Mark Martin, some of the greatest. Maybe that pedigree on top of the pit box will generate some of that patience. If he can actually calm Chase down and not let him worry about those second-place finishes. Maybe it can be his sort of night. The best thing about this all, Krista, is I look down this list of young drivers, and I can truly make a case for most of them. That's what makes this race so special. Every race doesn't have to be 600 miles because this race is. And it's very important to me that we have that 600-mile test because that test is different than what we see every single week.
1: And you guys talked about those surprise winners. I mean, David Rudiman won in the double-zero. Who drives the double-zero on Sunday?
4: Who?
2: I do. Oh, <laughs> I got it. there we go. Oh, yeah, I I'm like, <laughs> and, and by the way, that, that could be a first-time win for me. But even more interesting, um, who's the crew chief on the double zero that got that first win? Back in with David Rudiman. Was it Rodney oh, yeah. Childers? Rodney, Rodney Childers. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, not talking about a first-time winner, but you're talking about legendary crew chiefs that have t- taken first-time winners to victory lane. So, Basically,
4: what he's telling me is I ran out of gas, so I'm not on that list. Don't worry about it.
12: And I didn't know this was
1: going to turn into a quiz show, so I have to sit up a little straighter, I guess. Thanks, guys, and we're not done yet. The intensity, we're going to go back to Indianapolis as well because the intensity of Indy 500 qualifying is always high. This year, it cranked up a few notches. The result left one of IndyCar's most recognizable names off the grid for this Sunday.
6: The competition on the track for Carb Day wrapped up a while ago, but the party is still going on. Blues Traveler entertaining the fans out there right now, and they're certainly having a good time. I think Towns is down there doing a little crowd surfing as well, so we'll have to catch up with him in a moment. The 102nd Indianapolis 500 is still a day and a half away, but last weekend the Speedway had about all the drama it could stand. Bumping was back for qualifying weekend, and boy, did that turn out to be way more significant than anyone thought. It's bump day. 35
9: drivers, 33 spots. Checkered flag is out for James Hinchcliffe. That is the slowest in the field at this time. Connor Daly for now bumping James Hinchcliffe from the starting field. James Hinchcliffe goes out for his second qualification attempt. Very bad vibration. Copy, can you run it or you want to pit for another set of tires? I got a pit. Time is running out.
0: Rossi trying to find a way into
6: the fast nine to have a shot at pole tomorrow. Not fast enough. Tenth quick for
0: Alexander
9: Rossi. And
7: Danica Patrick is in the fast nine.
0: All focus shifts towards the bubble. Pippa oh. Mann managed to make it into the line before James Hinchcliffe.
9: The gun has been fired. Qualifying is over. It's
0: not six o'clock. Yeah, it's 550 James. And bump day is over.
6: Pippa Mann and James Hinchcliffe will not make the Indianapolis 500
8: And he's a cruel mistress sometimes. You know, highest to highs, lowest to lows. We finally have bumping again, which everybody was super thrilled about. And I'm a little less thrilled about it now than I was 24 hours ago. The
9: final qualifier positions 10 through 33. Alexander Rossi.
8: They
6: wanted that number 10 starting spot. Instead, he's going to be back in row 11. The Fast 9 shootout is next. Danica Patrick will be the first car on the track.
5: Danica Patrick, that's the speed to beat. Brilliant,
6: young
8: lady, brilliant.
5: Simon Pagino, lap number one
9: in the books. It's a fast one. First 229 lap we have seen. Great job. That's the pull.
6: Four laps to go for Ed Carpenter and then just
9: Elio Castroneves.
7: Ed is definitely capable of ruining the Penske party.
9: Big number goes up. 230.088 230.088 for Ed Carpenter. What oh, was that, 230? Yes, sir. One mile per hour faster. Fans have slid up in their seats just a little bit. He's gotten their attention. P1, 229.618. Hell yeah, guys. Big buddy. You feel
0: this. Thank you. The last man on the track, Elio Castroneves.
9: He's going to need to
6: find a lot more if he wants a pole. Not fast enough. Castro Devis qualifies in eighth position, and Ed Carpenter is a three-time pole winner of the Indy 500. Well, Townsend, Ed Carpenter on the poll, but let's go back a day and really talk about James Hinchcliffe. Honestly, the biggest story for the month of May, the face of IndyCar is not going to be in the Indianapolis 500. Your reaction to that, and why not buy their way back into the field?
7: Well, I'm really impressed the way that James Hinchcliffe and SPM Kind of stood up, took it on the chin, and didn't. It wasn't a sob story. It wasn't, woe is me. They didn't try to buy their way back in, they took it. And they'll be stronger for it, I believe. And I think it reminds all of us just how special it is to be in this race, how hard it is to get yourself a spot in this race when there's bumping. And I really admire the way that they've kind of galvanized themselves. They almost won the pit stop
6: competition today. That's going to play dividends down the road. Well, if you are from Indianapolis, you probably have a favorite driver in the Indy 500. And I'll bet his name is Ed Carpenter. So why is this product of the Illini State such a fan favorite here in the Hoosier State? Our Robin Miller explains.
11: He grew up in Gasoline Alley. His stepfather is Tony George. He knew the words to back home again in Indiana before he did the national anthem. The only thing he ever wanted to be was a race car driver. And Ed Carpenter has turned out to be a good one. A throwback, Ed is the last of the short track dirt racers at Indianapolis. Now in his 15th season of IndyCar racing, the 37-year-old Indianapolis resident started in quarter midgets at age six, became a winner in USAC Midgett and Sprints by age 20, and had an instant rapport with Indianapolis Motor Speedway. He wasn't intimidated by the walls, enjoyed the speed, and lived for the month of May. Nobody in Sunday's starting lineup cares more about Indianapolis than Ed, and nobody puts any more effort into it 11 months a year. This month has been one of his most gratifying. He's fielding three cars, one for himself, one for Danica Patrick, and one for Spencer Piggott. Ed captured his third pole position with a blistering opening lap of 230 miles an hour and was a mile an hour faster than anyone else. Pickett put together his best ever qualifying run and lines up sixth, while Patrick made an impressive return after a seven year absence and starts her last race ever from seventh spot. Ed Carpenter Racing doesn't have the funding, depth, or history of Team Penske, and Andretti Organassi, but this Indy-based team has stole the show so far this month. All three cars were in the fast nine, as ECR outperformed everyone and spoiled the all-Pensky front row. Carpenter has led laps in three races and contended in a couple others, but doesn't want to be known as the guy who just qualifies good at Indy. He wants to pull into victory lane, drink the milk, and fulfill the dream he's been having since he was eight.
6: Well, Townsend, clearly he's been able to show speed over the years when it comes to qualifying. Race has been sort of a different story. His best finish is fifth. He's had only one top ten in the last eight years, and they struggled today in practice. So are they a legit threat to win the race on Sunday?
7: Well, you look at the statistics and you would think, I don't know, but that speed hasn't gone anywhere the inherent speed in that number 20 fuzzies car that dominated qualifying that hasn't disappeared so i think fred carpenter and his team they've got to figure out kind of look honestly within and figure out what has kept them out of victory lane in the past because they've had fast cars before ed has won on ovals before so i don't think you can rule them out especially as fast
6: as that car is got to make that qualifying speed work on sunday in the race well one year after a crash it could have ended his career sebastian Bourdais came back to indy to as he told his team quote deal with his demons the intriguing behind the scenes of his qualifying week at indianapolis is coming up krista
1: i mean so many storylines you talk about sebastian I mean, elio and danica's return hometown yeah. boy uh, his success and a fan favorite finding himself without a ticket so steve your thoughts on what we're going to see from the indy 500 this year
4: Well, from everything I'm hearing from up in Indianapolis, it's supposed to be an exciting Indianapolis 500, perhaps because of the weather. Over 90 degrees, the cars are slipping and sliding. We heard Townsend talk about it earlier in the show, how they put the downforce in it. And that's going to be great when it comes to the race. But I want to go back to qualifying. I know that this is an awful experience for James Hinchcliffe, but as silly as it may sound, I think it's wonderful for the Indianapolis 500 and the aura of what that race has become over 102 years. If you go back to the years ago of how difficult this race was to make, to think Roger Penske, a 16-time Indy 500 championship owner, wins in 1994 with Little Al, comes back in 1995 with Pitipaldi and Little Al, misses a show, doesn't put either car in the race. Stories like that of what creates this race, it's what makes the Indy 500 more than just a spectacle to the fans. It is the biggest spectacle in racing as far as the grandeur and the grandstands and the experience. I've never been in the garage, but it's one of those boxes I would love to check. I would love to have a chance to race within the 500 because it is so special, but it's special because it's so hard to even make the field, Landon. Yeah, I mean, that's... I I can tell you as a driver,
2: I've never tried to make the Indy 500, but... The, the saddest I've ever been in a race car was when we qualified bad for the Daytona 500, and the happiest I've ever been in a race car was when we raced our way into the Daytona 500 through the duels. And I've done that twice, and it is the most stress I've ever had. But it's very rewarding, and it, may, it sets up your whole season. For these IndyCar guys, they live for the month of May, and it really is. It's the month of May. I mean, it takes they, they, there's so much emotion wrapped up uh, in this event. It is, it is truly a spectacle I love watching this race when we get back from the driver's meeting on Sunday at the Co- for the Coke 600, get in, in the hall, or catch the end of uh, the Indy 500. I'm excited to see them sliding around. It
4: sounds like it's going to be a handling ordeal for these drivers. Uh, it's, it's definitely going to be a good show. I know it sounds silly, Krista, but in a sport that is just so dangerous and has been built on danger, I think the danger of success is also it needs to be there. It needs to be inherent. And what that means is whether you're the driver or the businessman putting the car together, there are no guarantees in racing. And there's no guarantees you're even going to be in the field for the Indy 500.
1: Well, and we saw in that interview with James Hinchcliffe, he he handled it so well. He yes, said everything he right. He knew and and but the respect. You know, something that Landon was talking about. You know, after the drivers meeting, all of those stock car drivers go back and watch the Indy 500. Oh, yeah. All of the Indy 500, all the open wheel drivers will watch the Coca-Cola 600. It is an entire day. Landon talked about the entire month, but that day, the Sunday, day. is just so special to, to not just race fans, but drivers. Yeah,
5: you got to throw Monaco in there too. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we race all day long. Yep. this is the day. If you are a race fan, this is the day that gets closest to heaven because you get to get see so many different forms of racing. And I don't care whether you're an Indy fan or a Formula One fan or a NASCAR fan. People are just race fans, and that's what we should respect. And I think that's what the competitors do. They see what those guys do at Indy. They see what the guys do at Monaco and vice versa. They'll get, those guys will watch the Coca-Cola 600, will watch Indy, will watch all the races.
1: Yeah, when you hear 230 miles an hour.
5: Crazy. <laughs> wow. Crazy.
1: Kevin Harvick has certainly been the driver to beat in NASCAR this season. But his Coca-Cola 600 weekend is off to a rough start. Dave Burns will have more on that from Charlotte next.
9: the top of the windshield on every car will carry the name of a fallen serviceman or woman it's a somber
7: feeling having that fallen soldier riding along with you you feel that sense of pride but you feel that moment of brotherhood to go out there and give it your best because you know they gave it their best
1: And whether you are a racing fan or not, you need to tune in to the Coca-Cola 600 pre-race festivities, where the respect for our nation's military will be on full display. We can never say it enough. We are forever indebted to those men and women who serve our country. And when it comes to drivers to watch, we have to put Kevin Harvick on that list. Five wins this year, plus the All-Star Race. But as Dave Burns is going to tell us, Dave, trouble in paradise?
3: There was a little on Thursday night after well, before qualifying, Krista, because the four car did not pass technical inspection in time to make any qualifying lap. He'll start at the rear of the field. Rodney Childers, the crew chief, talked to the media afterwards, and, and I'm not going to quote Rodney or even use air quotes, as this show has been doing, but I want to kind of summarize what Rodney told uh, the assembled uh, folks who asked him what in the world went on because you didn't get your car on track. He said, basically, remember, the optical scanning station had been used by NASCAR, a system of cameras and computers that inspected the bodies of the race cars since the beginning of the year and while that is going on the teams also purchased optical scanning stations and rodney said everyone in the garage area was finding ways to uh sort of build on what they knew which was run that car through as many as times as you can see if you can actually do a little fooling of the optical scanning station and maybe gain an advantage in some area he said last week though a change happened uh, officials got moved around just a little bit and in fact the old straight edge templates in the case of nascar came back out with eyeballs and humans and when that happened he said things started to really get tightened up and they spent quote twelve there's my quote twelve hours working on their race car on monday to make it compliant both in the optical scanning station and by the straight edge by this weekend when he got here he said they passed through before practice but before qualifying it was different and he said when they tried to work between both the straight edge and the optical scanning station, they just couldn't make both sets of uh, compliance standards match the four car. In fact, you said the right tail of the four car in the end was the problem in the optical scanning station. So I look at it like this. How many times does an auto dialer uh, Robo dial until it has someone pick up. It doesn't care. It goes as often as it wants. So the teams have worked in areas to find out what the optical scanning station might miss. And Rodney said last week they got a lot tougher and we experienced part of the, uh, the compliance tightening this weekend at Charlotte. So where they go from there, they've been working on the car since then, making sure they can get back on the track for practice and of course be compliant for the 600. The upshot is Cheddar Bob Smith, the car chief, he was ejected. He will not be with the team racing on Sunday night. They might not care, though, because the last time Cheddar Bob got ejected was earlier this season before the Vegas race or after the Vegas race. And when Kevin went to Phoenix, uh, Cheddar Bob, by the way, went fishing, got some free time in and did not go with the team to Phoenix. Kevin won anyway. And that may happen again. We'll just have to see, Krista. No one expects the four car to stay at the rear of the field all night long. They expect him to be back up front, even with everything that happened last night.
1: Yeah, and you just never know. You give uh, Kevin Harvick a little extra incentive or something to shoot for and watch out to the rest of the field. Thanks, Dave. Okay, so let's turn now to Stephen Landon. Landon, you said right at the top of the show to watch out for Kevin Harvick. Um, Anything new or anything you want to add after hearing Dave's report or the reason to watch Kevin?
2: Yeah, well, I could definitely add something a little bit to the inspection side because I've got a car in that garage, too, and we're working with those inspectors and getting through uh, this optical scanning station and trying to push the limits. Uh, and if anybody knows how to push limits, it's you. But uh, the, the key thing that happened there to me is that NASCAR moved personnel around. So you have, you have the four team getting used to who's looking at their cars and figuring out, OK, I'm getting through the scanning station, but I know where to push the issues. I can put a little bondo here. I can make this bigger or smaller. And then all of a sudden, NASCAR changes the people. And now you have a new guy looking at the same corner of the car saying, mm, the last guy wasn't catching that. So I think that's really kind of what happened there with Childers. But I still have my eye on Kevin Harvick. I mean, he's, he's been so fast lately. Uh, he just won the all-star race. You look at all these other mile-and-a-half tracks, they've been so dom- dominant. Is he going to win stage one? Probably not. Now, you said earlier off, <laughs> off the air, you're like, I think he's going to score points in stage one, and I don't disagree with you. But one thing that I'm, I'm really interested in getting your feedback on, Steve, is what does this 30-minute practice penalty do to him? Is it, is it just only give them a chance to dial in their current setup, or how, how can Childers work on this?
4: Yeah, so that 30-minute penalty will be enforced at the end of Happy Hour. They'll lose the last 30 minutes. As you mentioned, Landon, it's really going to have to adjust how they go about their day because... That last 30 minutes is normally we put your best set of tires on, make a little bit longer run. The the advantage they have is they obviously have a great baseline. They're going to be fast. They've been fast all year long. I think when I go back, I've been looking at all these penalties in the news and now talking about these guys not even get to qualifying. people think they're just completely outside the box. And I think what's important for everybody to understand is winning cars are are driven by winning drivers. And what makes a winning car... Are thousands of little decisions. There's not a magical thing. It's not one spring, one horsepower, one count of downforce. It's the thousand counts of each that, in totality, make a winning race car. The difference between an average car and a great car are hundreds of those pennies stacked up to be worth something. And this is a perfect example of how talented Rodney Childers is. He's not afraid to push the envelope. He was not afraid to talk to the media afterwards, Kristen. I really think. That's what makes this four car so difficult is every time you either pick on Kevin Harvick or Rodney Childers, they come out of the trailer arm in arm. You never hear them talk about one another. It's very hard to separate the two.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, So again, one more reason you got to watch on Sunday. Lots of storylines. Also, back in IndyCar racing on Sunday, driver Sebastian Bourdais will continue his amazing comeback from a wreck that nearly took his life one year ago at this track. More on his incredible story when our motorsport special returns.
6: Welcome back to Indianapolis, our NASCAR America Motorsports special continuing. That's the way you get ready for the 102nd running of the Indianapolis 500. Blues travel out there entertaining all those fans here. Car day is still going on. Two-seater rides on the racetrack. A lot of activity happening. You know, Sebastian Bourdais called qualifying just a few days ago the most difficult thing he's ever done in his entire life after his vicious crash one year ago to the day of pole qualifying here at Indy. You can certainly understand why weather should hold, but I, I think we clear for us.
7: I don't know if the whole field is going to go Ooh, yeah, it's, it's so, getting spotty.
9: Gears are in there, we think it's fifth. I'll we'll let you know if it's otherwise. We continue to think the Chevys are quicker than the Honda's. Just kind of go out and do our
2: We're selling lemonade to help kids get
7: clean water. That's a good initiative. That's cheating. You guys are putting candies in the lemonade
2: now? <laughs>
9: and the yellow is gonna come out because moisture is being felt on the front stretch. Stacy's just Awesome. It's going to last about 45 minutes. That means they'll lose the track. Our guess is this is gonna be a while. The long wait is over. Here we go once again. (laughs) Sebastian Bourdais. Ooh, good lap, 228. Checkered flag waving and the third quickest so far.
0: Nice job. Bring it in. Let's go smile for some pictures.
5: Eyes well, back to the race course because we have a very fast driver right now. 231.595. And he is. Oh, no, no. Oh, he hit hard. Oh, he hit hard. That
9: was scary. He is well taken care of. Let's just hope that the injuries are not serious. But that was a terrifying crash. we were pretty conservative on the setup yesterday and obviously had a lot of understeer but i think the temperature's hotter and that'll take care of it one run stick it in the field be safe
5: Mm -hmm. five to go and here is the 18. he's off of turn number four green flag
9: waves 228 let's go sebastian Wow. He has the provisional pole with two laps to go. Remember, you for turn two, two if you need it. Average speed for Sebastian Bourdais, 228.142. But he's not quick enough to steal away the pole. Great plan. Awesome, man.
10: Bring it back. I had a bit of a moment there in in one I didn't trust it so I didn't, I got my foot off of it and it showed big time on the speed but uh, with what happened last year you can't just disregard the signs of the car anymore. Just want to give a little message to my wife, I know she's watching, it's been uh, probably the hardest weekend we've ever had to go through
6: some revealing words right there from Sebastian Bordet Paul Tracy now joining Townsend Bell and I so PT you rarely hear a race car driver admit hey an accident made me slow down a little bit he just did it right there so how much do you admire his tenacity to one admit it but two go back out there and do it again
10: well for Sebastian and I the amount of fights that we had and arguments we had on and off the racetrack you know I'll admit that he is probably one of the bravest guys out here in the field he had a massive crash last year and he's come back so much stronger this year you know one would argue and say well he's not that good of an oval driver but for sure he's got as good a shot as anybody on Sunday to win here he is really good at these flat style ovals like
7: here in Milwaukee so he's a top contender for Sunday well Paul you know what they say courage is when you're afraid but you do it anyways and for Bastian Bourdais it's not that he's crazy it's that he has trust. He has total trust and faith in the people that he surrounded himself with on that team. That's his engineer, Craig Hampson, Olivier Besson, Jimmy Vassar, James Sullivan. He has a whole crew of trust, and he's got absolute faith when he rockets into turn one that it's going to stick.
6: I found it very interesting that he wanted his wife, Claire, and their kids to stay home and not come for qualifying weekend. They just got here Wednesday night, but he just seemed after qualifying like a different guy, like he was just so completely relaxed. Well, Bourdais might get his first Indy 500 win. If Danica Patrick does so, it would come in her final start. Coming up, we'll recap her troubles in the final practice here for the Indianapolis 500. Plus, Krista will get Paul and Townsend's picks for the Indy 500. So get your car fantasy lined up, ready to go. PT and Townsend, they're here to help, guys.
1: Uh, Danica starting seventh, Sebastian Bourdais fifth on Sunday. Well, coming up, Sunday's 600-miler at Charlotte will also test drivers, both physically and mentally. So coming up, Kyle is going to hop into the simulator to show us just how important a driver's focus will come into play. Kyle, do you even have focus?
5: No focus. I don't know what I'm <laughs> That's doing. That's coming
1: up. Serena Williams is back on the famous Red Clay Courts in Paris for her first major appearance since her return. French Open begins Sunday at noon on NBC, part of NBC Sports Championship season, presented by Canada Dry Ginger Ale and Lemonade.
3: I usually end up wandering to a song, get a song stuck in my head, and uh, in my mind, I am an excellent singer. Uh, Out loud, it sounds like a screeching bird. So... um, Yeah, I I, uh, definitely wandered certain places more so than others. You would never think Bristol, but I got Chris Stapleton stuck in my head at Bristol, and it was our best run in 2016. So ever since then, I try and get Chris Stapleton stuck in my head when we go back there.
1: (laughs) Chris Buescher is going to need a lot of songs to keep his focus on racing 600 miles. Focus is truly the key. Kyle has none, but he is in the simulator now. Uh, we can't recreate racing for four and a half hours, which is what the 600 miler will be. But to test Kyle's focus and mental stamina, Landon and Steve may have some creative ways to distract you, Kyle, while you're driving. Try to get around as best as you can for the next three minutes.
5: Three minutes?
1: Three minutes, I think. My God. It's not four hours.
5: I've, I've only been able to put three laps together in this thing.
1: <laughs> Why is it so difficult?
5: Because I
4: think, the, I think I just have to talk to you. I be, think that's one thing that the crew chief needs to do to his driver is just talk to him, but pick and choose where you're talking to them. because I feel like a driver can be distracted
5: pretty easily as short. Somebody's <laughs> shining a light in my down here. I don't know what that is.
4: Kyle, what would you have
2: for breakfast this morning?
5: <laughs> I had oatmeal, man. I'm regular. What'd I know you what, you what for I had. have dinner
4: tonight? Oh, oh, oh.
5: Wait a minute.
4: I can oh, see oh, it. See, this is inside. A, inside? Where? Quarter, outside on your... Even? Even? I'm trying to spot for you here. Did you
2: like it when your spotter talked to you? I
4: used to cut my radio off
5: when the spotter would start talking.
4: (laughs) So you're one of those guys. (laughs) Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Brian Busher said he had a song stuck in his head. Can you sing and drive? Is the real question. Yeah. Uh, What
5: is it? What? Smooth as Tennessee whiskey. That's Chris Stapleton. <laughs> That's
1: <Kyle's some> <laughs> it is. do you see the photos? Look can at that. I see the
5: photos? That hair is distracting me. <laughs> I got hair in
4: my
2: eyes. I got hair in my eyes. Kyle, can you wear your hair like that for us again, please? No, most of that hair
5: has fallen out. <laughs> oh, no. I don't have a lot. I don't have your hair. Let me just tell you. This is, I'm going to tell you. This is, And I, in all seriousness, it is I've never been in a simulator. See, there I am in a wall. Uh, I've only done this a couple of times, but the focus for a 600-mile race, uh, when you get down and, and you guys talked about it, Landon, you talked about it. The fo- oh, see, I just got turned right there. But that was my fault because I was talking and driving at the same time. Uh, and let me reset this thing real quick. Hold on. Let me set. Oh, but, no, let Kyle, me set- to
4: your point, that's the difficult part of this you know the stages break it up a little bit but the problem is you can still have long green flag runs well over 50 60 70 laps yeah and that's easy at the start of the race but as your hydration goes down as your everything becomes more taxed your heart becomes more taxed your lungs have a hard time processing the heart rate we've seen these drivers wear heart rate monitors kyle and they're well over 130 140 150 beats per minute and to try to do that for four hours, think a marathon's only what two and a half, three hours long. So it's an hour longer than a marathon. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I take um,
2: I take about 350 calories per hour in the car, and I so do you it, consume as you drive. Yep, I do it through fluids. Um, it has a little bit of protein in it, some carbs, but it's 350 calories to help rehydrate me and feed me uh, because that's that's the 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 heat and temperature on your brain is a ton. Uh, did you take that many calories per hour, Kyle, when you were racing?
5: Only at Martinsville when I would stopped for a hot dog. That was the only time <laughs> there you go. Uh, that I took it. But you know what? But, but th- that's the deal. You start the race. Oh, my God. That scared me. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, you start the race, and, and the thing is, it's adrenaline. It's adrenaline. You get down to that last 100 laps, uh, and whether it's hitting your marks and, and being where you need to be or whether it's coming down pit road, uh, sliding through your pit, oh, God. Is somebody on me right here? God, Araluce. Oh I, I, what package is this? Is this an All Star package? I feel like somebody's bump drafted you me. You got one five back. Thank you very much for that. But it, I, I'm telling you, this is—I haven't been in a race car in a long time. I'm—I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. Um, but to be in the race car that last hundred laps, uh, or that last uh 100 laps at this place is a tough tough thing and i don't care whether you're taking 300 calories or 350 calories or there's a guy talking to you or you're singing chris stapleton uh the focus is hit your marks and pass that car in front of you and that's not easy uh the longer it goes and when you're stuck out here with an idiot like me trying to dodge it, um, and a producer talking in your <laughs> ear, it's even worse, man. It's even worse. This is fun. I'm gonna get me one of these.
1: <laughs> Great. That's just what we need.
5: Yes. I'm gonna you him. I'm gonna trade him <laughs> my is, foosball table.
1: Now, in Kyle's defense, you heard him say a simulator oh is God. not his normal, his normal preparation for a race. And yeah, the Coca-Cola 600 will be. A, <laughs> that's a perfect way.
4: In this. <laughs> put me out of my business.
1: The Coca-Cola 600 will be four and a half hours long. Uh, the Stanley Cup Finals, an average uh, length of that, those games, two and a half hours each. So, And by the way, a Martinsville hot dog is not 350 calories. That's like 3,000 and 50 <laughs> calories, right?
5: But they're good.
1: <laughs> Thanks, Kyle. Hey, you wouldn't think your choice of beverage following a race would be a big deal? Well, at the Brickyard, it's everything. Coming up, we'll discuss one of the time-honored traditions in all of motorsports. Got milk?
6: Back in Indianapolis. Look at that Carb Day crowd, guys. Train getting ready to go on the stage. That's a massive crowd, Townsend. I'm halfway there. (laughs) You better stay with us just for a few more minutes. Earlier today, final practice for the Indianapolis 500. Also, the pit stop competition. Scott Dixon wins it for... Chip
7: Ganassi. Dixon's team was flawless but Hinchcliffe very strong in the slower lane but in the end it was
6: all Dixon. $50,000 for that team and a ring for everybody who participated as well. Danica Patrick though PT with problems in that practice this morning. She had
10: problems but her car was really quick. She came out of the box was 8th quickest so she's got a really
6: good shot this weekend. Super fast team the whole team is quick across the board. It will be her final start on Sunday. She will start seventh for the Indianapolis 500. Got a little interesting there leaving Pitt Road after they got their issues fixed. After practice, our Katie Hargett caught up with Danica.
8: At the end of the day, these are things that you're actually glad for because had it been Sunday, we'd be done. Um, so actually never mind getting bad luck or issues out of the way early on, and um, that way you know uh, you've eliminated one thing at least.
6: I guess she's got a point. You're glad when you find it in practice and not in the race, right? But can they fully fix those problem, guys, before the race starts on Sunday? Yeah, I don't think there's any
7: any doubt that that ECR crew will get a car fixed. For me, the question with Danica is when the start of this race happens, it goes aggro. You know, you can take seven years off, show up, you have a few days to get back in the groove, but the race is completely different. How does she deal with that hardcore effect of racing at Indy?
6: And how does she keep the nerves down, right, PT? Because that was almost the last thing that happened to the team.
7: Yeah, for sure. I mean, when you're a
10: part-time driver, your nerves are always amped up. You're more anxious. You want to get to the front. You want to race hard right from the beginning. And the veteran guys take it easy. They lay back. So it's going to be a super crowded pit lane for her versus a cup car. So it's going to be a lot different.
6: All right. Give me a key, guys, both of you, to Sunday's race. I mean, it looks sketchy when you're in traffic behind the wheel. It is sketchy, and it's hard when you're in traffic. So I
7: think you have to be methodical and pick off some spots early, get to the front to clean air. and You've got to do that or else you have no chance. You got to ride. You got to ride. It's hard. It was hard for me to do it, but you got
10: to ride and ride and ride. And even though you want to go racing, you got to wait until the final 20 laps and
6: start ramping it up. And then the last five laps is when it all goes down. All right. Time to make your picks, boys. Who are you going to pick for the 102nd running at the Indianapolis 500 Towns? And we'll start with you. Joseph Newgarden's going
7: to win this race because it's going to be hot, miserable for the drivers <laughs> out there. The hotter, the tougher, the stronger he's going to be. P.T.? My pick is going to be Marco Andretti.
10: He's going to break the Andretti curse. He's had a great month. He's driving Townsend's quick (laughs) chassis fernando Alonso's chassis from last year probably one of the best cars in the field
6: you just want him not to wreck the car right because it's supposed to be yours once he's done with it you got it all right there you go that's going to wrap it up from indianapolis for our coverage here on nascar america hey make sure you check out abc sports this sunday 11 a.m eastern for the 102nd running of the indianapolis 500 mile race krista kyle for myself townsend and paul and our entire crew here in indianapolis enjoy your memorial day weekend everybody
1: Yeah, great job there in Indianapolis, Marty. And of course, the winner of the Indy 500 gets to go back to a tradition that started in 1936, a big gulp of milk. Earlier this week, the Indiana Dairy Association released the 2018 Indy 500 milk preference poll, taken among the field of 33 drivers. The leading choice, whole milk, which was selected by 17 drivers as their celebratory drink of choice. Uh, Two drivers you see there at the bottom, no preference. What's your preference?
5: Okay. Whole, milk.
1: Whole milk. Whole milk. Okay, that's not the only yes. thing we're going to find out. I get, but to be fair. Okay, go ahead, Land and Steve, your choice. Two percent skim.
4: Cold in Victory Lane. I don't think I can do better. or that's the I'm answer. not going to complain. Almond milk
1: for <laughs> me. Though, but I knew I'll... it. I knew
4: it.
1: Okay, let's let's go a different direction. How about your predictions? Uh, we're going to show our n- drivers NASCAR.com fantasy selections for this week. All right, who's going first?
4: I'll go. Well, it's back okay. to the mile-and-a-half track, so I think you have to go really heavy with Kevin Harvick, Martin Trex Jr., very, very good. I left Kyle Busch off my list, even though he's starting on the front row. His love-hate relationship is just too strong for me to get over with Charlotte. Hamlin runs well there. Kurt Busch, though, he's a little bit of a sleeper. If he has a good start to the race, he might find a way in my lineup there somewhere uh, before the end of Stage 3. Well, Steve... We did a whole segment about first-time
2: winners in the Coke 600, <laughs> and you didn't even give anybody a chance. I am going bullish on first-time winners with Chase Elliott, Daniel Suarez, and William Byron in the garage. Hopefully I don't get to use my garage driver, though, because I'm going to be in the race. So I don't want to have to DNF or anything and be able to move William back in. But I am going to go with Kevin Harvick to win this thing. He's, uh, he's got the momentum, he's got the speed, and I think he's coming
4: from the back. Kristen, it hurts a little bit. He didn't even take himself.
5: Yeah.
1: Well, but he was consistent. He went with exactly what he said at the start of the show. Yep, now we're So gonna, I like that.
5: Yeah, we're making it anonymous here. Uh, we put the. Not uh,
1: <laughs> anonymous.
5: Ke- 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 we put Kevin Harvick. Kevin Harvick's my winner uh, w- when I looked at it. But it went. There we go. There we go. Listen, listen, Landon, how do you get that? How do you get. Th- how do you get the milking machine on, a, on an almond? I don't understand how a milking machine goes on an almond. <laughs> Are I, you I, distracted, just, Kyle? I, I am distracted. See, I'm talking about milking an almond right now. But here's, here's my thing. I I, I took uh, uh, Kevin Harvick as my race winner. And I did put Kyle Busch. And oh, for you third. that can't that's, see, doing I, I'm quotes. doing air quotes here. I put Kyle Busch in my group. Because, my God, he's got to break that at some point in time. We just heard Paul Tracy talk about the Andrettis breaking that at Indy. Kyle Busch has to break this at Charlotte at some point in time. But... Uh, I can't argue with Kevin Harvick right now.
1: Uh, For the latest fantasy news, don't forget to check out rotoworld.com for the best analysis. Where do you guys get an air horn? How would you get an air horn in the NBC Charlotte studios?
2: We're prepared. My goodness. We're always ready.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and one thing before we go off air, uh, Steve, I want to point to you because you mentioned this, and I think it's key, what, nine pit stops probably is the average for pit crews, two to three more than a normal mile-and-a-half race. That's got to be big for those teams.
4: It is, and it's a long day. Four hours. Guys are going to have to rest up, and it's going to be a long day for me because I'm going to watch about 20-something pit stops, starting at Monaco for breakfast, lunch at uh, Indianapolis, and dinner around the Charlotte race. It's the best day of racing. This is like Christmas for a race fan, so I cannot wait for Sunday afternoon. Yeah,
2: for me, I'm just making sure that I'm hydrated from this point forward. I'm eating clean. I've got to loosen my muscles uh, before I get in the car, before I head out, and it's a long—it's just a long day, you know. Yeah. The race doesn't start till six o'clock. It's going to be light for half the race, and then you got to run in the dark.
5: Yeah, I'm going to—I'm going to listen. I'm going to sit down. I'm going to watch Landon Castle and Parker Clickerman, uh, and I'm going to be pulling for my NBC guys. So yeah. you guys are on my list, man. Thank you.
1: Best of luck to you, both of our guys in the race. Thank you for joining us. Enjoy your holiday weekend. Be safe. As always, thank you to our troops. We will see you again next week.